Well, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2 today as we continue uh, this series that is really a journey through the book of Mark. And uh, we call it Snapshots because uh, the book of Mark, uh, if you weren't here last week, it's kind of this raw, unedited footage of the life of Jesus. It's not well written. Uh, there's a lot of like, if you, if you know Greek or Hebrew, there's like a, like a lot of grammatical uh, issues in there. It's just, it's like somebody is writing it down as quick as they could, putting it out there so that we would have a record of it. It was the earliest gospel ever written. It was written about 35 years after Jesus came back from the dead and ascended into heaven. And so a really early account uh, of what was going on. And this is why we wanted to look at this. Because it is just kind of the raw story of who Jesus was. And our goal is to find this story, these documented stories that we can kind of get a little bit of the feel for. That we can kind of feel like we were there. Uh, I, we have some friends, if you guys know Michael and Kay uh, in our church, they're leaving this morning. They're going to be gone for two weeks. Uh, they're going to be out in Arizona and Nevada doing, or, or Nevada and Utah doing basically five marathons in five days. It's insanity what they are doing. I've told them that to their face. But as they are going, I'm like, will you please take pictures and post it on Facebook so that I can feel like I am there with you? Not that I'm actually doing it with you. There's no desire in my body or in my soul to do that with them, but I would be happy to experience it as they document it together. And, and this is kind of what we're doing as we read through Mark. I, I would actually love to be able to go and walk in Mark's steps, but we can't do that. And so Mark is giving us this Facebook feed, this Instagram feed of pictures and stories of Jesus that help us feel like we are there. Last week, we ended up our, our teaching uh, with Jesus basically kind of coming in and beginning his ministry. Kind of his moment, he had just been baptized. He went away for 40 days and came back, and he made this huge declaration, the kingdom of God has come near. And we talked about this kingdom was not this expansion of territory or overthrowing the Roman government or, or more religious liberties or, or things that we might equate it to, but it was actually the demonstration of the character of God. He's basically saying, look, over these, these next chapters, what you're going to be reading I'm going to be demonstrating to you what the kingdom of God is really like through his character, through his love, his compassion, forgiveness, and grace. Our small group that met this week, uh, we were at a, I'm in a group that meets downtown on Tuesday nights, and as we were discussing this sermon, we kind of ended on this point where we were like, man, if, if Jesus demonstrated to us what, the, what it feels like when the kingdom of God is near, and we are followers of Christ, then what why don't we think the same thing? Why aren't we thinking, how can we every day be a demonstration of the kingdom of God? How do we let people know that the kingdom has drawn near? Not because I am Jesus, but because Jesus, that we are the body of Christ showing it to the world. And it was a great way for us to begin to think about that, about how we can live distinctly. And now as we're beginning chapter 2, as we turn the page over to chapter 2, we're going to actually see Jesus doing this, living it out in such a way that we can begin to model. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever questioned your intentions? Like, what are you in? No, never, right? None of us have ever <laughs> experienced that. If somebody is maybe skeptical of your motives, somebody that 
really thinks you've always got a hidden agenda or something working in the background. I remember the, one of the first girls I ever dated, I showed her, like, I, I'm not, I, I've never done this before, like, go in and meet the parents. Like, so we go in, and we're shaking hands. I'm just, we're going to dinner, movie, and back. Like, nothing big. And her dad stops me in my tracks and gives me, what are your intentions with my daughter? Like, serious. Not, there was no humor in his voice at all. And I'm like, uh, dinner, movie, uh, maybe a kiss at the end. I don't know. Like, you know, but that's it. Like, you know, I mean, we're, I just want to have fun. We're just going to hang out. And he was like, I, I know teenage boys. I know what you're, and I'm like, it's all right. Like, I'll back out right now. I, it's, I don't know that I'm attracted to this guy. I didn't tell him that. But I was like, we, we, we ended up going out. Great date. All that stuff. But, uh, but sometimes people look at us and be like, what are your motives? And this is exactly how many of the religious leaders of Jesus' day viewed him in this moment. He'd come out of chapter one, man. He'd been healing people. He shows up. He's healing people. He's calling people to follow him. It says everywhere he goes, great crowds were showing up. At the end of chapter one, it says he couldn't even hardly go into town anymore because when he did, chaos ensued. People showed up from everywhere. When word got out that Jesus was there, man, people just flocked there. And it said he actually had to go hide out in the desolate places just to get some peace and quiet. And then he would go back to town and craziness would ensue. And so these guys, these religious leaders are like, what is up with this? Who is this? And this is what we're going to look at today. It's like this hotshot rookie has shown up in the religious environment and is getting all the press, getting all the news. And these guys are like, yeah, but is he really part of our team? Who is he? We need to figure out his intentions. You think about it, these men, these Pharisees, these scribes, these religious leaders of the day have been used to being the most respected and the most authoritative people when it came to the scriptures and the matter of God. And now people were saying, well, Jesus is a better teacher than the scribes. Jesus is more compassionate than the Pharisees. I mean, they were putting him at levels that like, this guy hasn't earned it yet. He has not earned this kind of respect. And so we need to make sure he understands a few things. And this is where we see chapter two. In chapter two, there are a number of interactions that are recorded here and some questions that these religious leaders ask of Jesus. And they've been watching him, and now it's time to question him in such a way that they can determine who he is and what this man is really about. They're basically saying, what are your intentions with those that have been following us? What do you want to do with them? And so is he going to be just like every other religious leader, except maybe a little bit more skilled or more insightful? Or does he have something else in mind completely? And this chapter gives us some deep insight into the heart and intention of Jesus. And we're going to look at a few snapshots here that help us see that. This first one is going to be found in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and it's interaction where Jesus, the snapshot of him healing a paralytic. This first interaction when somebody comes to bring him to be healed, and the question that comes up isn't as much about Jesus' ability to heal someone as it is about a much deeper issue, the forgiveness of sin. So I'm going to read Mark 2, 1 through 12. It'll be on the screen. If you got it, however you access your Bibles, uh, you can follow along. But let's read this. This is an incredible story. It said, And when he had returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was home. And many gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. 
And as he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And they could not get near him because of the crowd. So they removed the roof above him, and then they had made an opening. They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. I'm not sure that's exactly the words the paralytic wanted to hear, but it's, uh, it's what Jesus gave in that moment. We're going to see why it's so insightful. Verse 6 says this, Now some of the scribes uh, were sitting there questioning in their heart, Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus does something amazing. He immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit what these questions were within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? And verse 10 says this, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he arose, immediately picked up the bed, went out before them, all so that they were all amazed, glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. What an incredible, dramatic story. But what I want you to see is the true drama in this story is not in the moment that Jesus heals him, but it's actually in the way Jesus addresses this man and what he says to this man. Because Jesus speaks to this man very differently than the religious leaders have ever spoken to him or ever thought about spoken to him. Let me tell you a little bit about this guy, what we would know. This paralytic, he was an outcast of society. He had no ability to care for himself and was completely reliant upon family and friends to care for him. But even more importantly, in his day, his disability would have been viewed as a punishment or as a consequence of his sin or the sins of his family. The religious leaders would have looked at this man and said, he has gotten what he deserved. His sin, his brokenness are literally showing up in his physical form and his identity. They would look at him and say, you're, you're paying for your sin. They would not have seen anything besides a sinner that is paying for what he deserved. But look at what happens when these four men show up with this guy. The crowd, and many of them were religious leaders, they wouldn't get out of the way. They wouldn't make room for this guy to get to Jesus, uh, the, the source of healing. I mean, people, Jesus had been healing people for a long time now, and they'd see this guy coming paralyzed, and they won't even make a way for him. Because they're like, we know who this guy is. This is that guy who's been paralyzed. He's paying for his sin. Jesus probably doesn't even want to see this guy. So what do they do? These friends are, are crazy. They climb up on the roof of this house. All right, I'm going to say, I, I remember seeing this picture, like growing up in church, like a nice little watercolor picture of like these four men on the roof with like pulleys and hinges and things like that, slowly lowering this guy in front of Jesus. Can I tell you, that's not what happened. All right. These weren't like four engineers that all of a sudden showed up and had all that stuff ready to like make a, a trolley and everything to lower Jesus. I mean, lower this guy. These guys get up there, small thatch roof house. They tear open the thatching of the roof. And again, it says that they lowered that the, the Greek interpretation would be better say dropped. They literally dropped this guy in front of Jesus. Now, it wasn't like a three-story house or anything like that. It was probably about a six, eight-foot drop that they just dropped this guy in front of Jesus. They couldn't get to him any other way. And he said, here you are. And what Jesus does in this minute 
is amazing. They would have immediately, people would have immediately recognized this man. Probably someone would be like, get him away from here. He doesn't need to be around this great teacher. But these men were so desperate and completely dependent on Jesus and knew that he was the only hope for this man's life. They were willing to do anything. And Jesus does something right here that reveals the true character and nature of God and lets people know that the kingdom is drawing near. Jesus says this, your sins are forgiven. Knowing the context a little bit now, think about how powerful those words are. This man, who probably from birth has thought that his sin is unforgivable, his sin can't be dealt with, and he's dealing with it in his own physical form. I'm sure he wanted to be healed. I'm sure he wanted to walk. But when Jesus started with him and said, your sins are forgiven, he placed hope in this man's life. This man, who his whole life had been viewed as, viewed as physical condition as a result of sin, was being released from that burden. He was being made new from the inside out. Jesus had just implanted hope into this man's soul for the first time in his life. But the Pharisees didn't get it, and they asked him this question. Why does he speak like this? Where does he get this kind of authority? Why does he speak like this? These guys were shocked. They were all murmuring, thinking the same thing. Who is this man who thinks he has the power to forgive sin? And Jesus, knowing what they were talking about, he stops them and says, I want to show you what truly the kingdom of God is like. I'm going to bring it very near to you right now. So when Jesus says, why do you question these things in your heart? What is it easier to say to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to rise up and take your bed and walk? What he's doing there is he's answering them their question, and he's answering with this. His answer is a way to demonstrate true hope. Jesus was not just about making this man walk again. He wasn't just giving him his legs to work, his arms to work, his, his ability to walk and function in normal in society. What he was giving him was hope in his heart that would change his whole perspective and understanding. Jesus was here. He's, he's not a sideshow act. He's not just somebody who can do neat tricks. Instead, he is about completely transforming the lives of those that he came into contact with. He wasn't about looking on the outside to make the determination about what a man's soul is like. Instead, he was about looking on a man's heart and into a man's soul and seeing how faith and trust in him could transform every aspect of who we are. This is why offering forgiveness is harder than healing. Maybe you and I can change a person's exterior, but only God can change a heart. I'm, I uh, did youth ministry work for about 15 years uh, when I was first starting in, uh, in ministry. And I remember one year we went to a camp, and we had uh, Thursday night was like dress-up night at our youth camps. And uh, we had a girl that was part of one of our youth groups, a uh, beautiful girl, but uh, very plain. She never wore makeup, never really did her hair, didn't come from a home where, where that was normal or a part, a very low-income home in some areas. She just didn't have much even clothes to wear and things like that. And so some of our girls that night got together and they thought that they would bless her and they had got her something beautiful to wear. Uh, they did her makeup and her hair. And I can, I can remember like the, when they brought her out, how everybody responded was like, oh my gosh, who is this? And it was like a, a makeover. And everybody I met initially thought this was great. But I can remember talking to her later that night and she was in tears. 
And she said, I looked in the mirror and all I saw was my old self. And only people looked at my outside and saw value in me because of this change. And it was it's something that really tore at her soul. And we talked about it as a group and it became a, a great learning experience for us. But that's what we think sometimes we can do. We can just pretty up the outside enough. We can just make it make things better on the outside, make us look better, feel better, take away this pain, take away this. When God says, no, the true change is when I change your heart, change who you are from the inside. And this is Jesus' intention that he revealed. He says this, Jesus is not about our physical restoration as much as he is about our spiritual restoration. Jesus is not about our physical restoration as much as he is about our spiritual restoration. And for some of us in here, that's hard to take. Some of us in here, you know, have, are dealing with disease, dealing with difficulty physically. But to understand that even though God does care about that, he cares more about who you are as a person on the inside. He wants to build us from the roots up, from the core out He doesn't just want this polished-looking follower that is hollow on the inside. I I grew up in a Christian home, so we celebrated Easter. Uh, One of the reasons I loved Easter was the Easter basket on Sunday morning, the candy that was in there, right? And I I can remember, I used to love going to the Easter egg basket, and then there would be the, sometimes my parents would buy like one of the chocolate bunnies, right? I would get so excited until I bit into the ear, and it was hollow. I'm like, why couldn't we spend the extra $2 and get the solid bunny, the one that is chocolate all the way through? It'll last much longer. That hollow bite was like, ah, you know. But that's, we try to think, let's just make sure we look good enough on the outside. And as long as we make sure enough pressure doesn't come into our life, nobody will know we're hollow on the inside. And Jesus wants us to be solid from the inside out. It's okay if you don't look beautiful on the outside, if you're not polished, because God is changing us from the inside out. This is what his intention is. Not to worry about the outside, but to change our focus to the inside. The second interaction we're going to read is this. It's this interaction Jesus had just called Matthew, and he's called Levi in the scriptures here to follow him. Matthew was a tax collector. And so what, what Matthew did was he invited Jesus to come hang out with a bunch of his friends which were known as a bunch of sinners and tax collectors. And so look down at verse 15 and we see what happens. And it says, as he, talking about Jesus, reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is another distinguishing moment for Jesus. The Pharisees did all they could to separate themselves from anyone that was viewed as sinful, unclean, or outside the acceptable social and moral norms. They looked at this motley crew that Jesus was hanging out with and eating with, and they could not fathom why he, a teacher of the law, a man of God, would be there. They couldn't figure it out. To me, the, the most unique thing about this situation, though, is not that Jesus was comfortable there, but the fact that actually these sinners and tax collectors were comfortable 
with Jesus there. I mean, that's a huge thing to think about it. This is a very casual environment. They talk about reclining at the table together. This was not a formal dinner. They weren't forced to come to this. These people who had been shunned by the religious establishment their entire life felt completely at ease with Jesus, a man known for his deep religious teachings. It makes me wonder, what is it about Jesus that puts sinners so at ease? But yet, for some reason, today, when the name of Jesus, or even those of us who represent him, confronts, come, come along sinners, they get very uncomfortable, and they almost want to run in the opposite direction. I think it's because we're asking the same question the Pharisees are and missing Jesus' intention here. What was the question that they asked? They basically asked this. Why are you spending time with those people? Why are you hanging out with those people? The religious leaders were worried about how they might be perceived or judged by hanging out or socializing with those viewed by as culture as reprehensible or sinful. To make it simple, they couldn't understand why Jesus preferred to be with these social degenerates instead of with them, the religious elite. Why is he wasting time on those people? And Jesus says this. I love this verse. Those who are well, I have no need of, of, has no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. His answer here is a demonstration of true compassion. True compassion. He demonstrated hope earlier, and now he is demonstrating true compassion. Jesus never looked at people as projects. He didn't view the sick, the paralyzed, the sinful as anything less than anyone else. He saw all people as valuable and deserving of intentional time, friendship, and investment. Even though he had every right to demonstrate his authority over other people, he chose instead to use his authority and power to invest in other people. That's why he's lounging at the table. Here was Jesus' intention. Jesus was not about increasing his social standing. Instead, he was about making personal investments through personal relationships. And you know what? Too often we can get caught up in the same line of thinking as these Pharisees. We're not willing to go and hang out with people like us. And we want to simply, and simply be with them with no agenda, no plan to make them see the error of their ways, repent, and join our club. We go to people that aren't like us to take them, to get them to convert, to become like us. Jesus just simply went and was with them. It was there. And he allowed the kingdom of God that he was bringing with them to come near to them. Instead, that's what we should be like. Jesus, a man who simply went and hung out with his new friends. He was Jesus. He didn't try to hide who he was. It's not that we have to go and act like we're not a follower of Christ and diminish who we are. But he also didn't expect them to be any different just because he was there. Why were they comfortable with Jesus? Here's what I think. Because he went to them as he was and connected with them as they were. He went to them as he was and connected with them as they were. No pretense, no agenda, a simple act of investing in somebody's life personally. Who is it that those people that we don't like to go to, or if we go to, we have to go with an agenda to get them saved, to get them changed, to get, can we just go and be who we are and join them as they are 
and let the kingdom of God do the work. This is what Jesus is revealing here in his second interaction. The last one we'll look at this morning quickly is this. Is this uh, he's dealing with the snapshot, this issue of fasting and the Sabbath. The next interaction, we see it again, where Jesus doesn't just seem to be following the standard religious practices. Why not? There's some verses we're going to jump around, Mark 2, 18 through 19, and then skip down to verse 23, and it'll be on the screen. It says this. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. If you don't know what fasting is, it's basically a season that you don't eat. And while you're not eating, you're supposed to be focusing on spiritual things, praying, uh, really making it a, a moment between you and God. So it says, John's disciples, John the Baptist, who he's talking about, and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came to him and said, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Skip down to verse 23 and we'll see another issue. It says, one Sabbath, which again, the Sabbath is a time that is supposed to be at rest. No work is supposed to be done. He was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, him and his disciples, they began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees, seeing this, they said to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Basically, they were like, You're harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Why are you working? And they were just like, I don't know if they were taking it to eat, or they were just playing a game and throwing it at each other. I don't know what they were doing, but they weren't harvesting their crop that day. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. In both of these situations, you see Jesus, I think, pretty intentionally pushing back on what religious practice was at the time. Jesus wasn't doing things the way the religious leaders said that they were supposed to be done. You weren't supposed to forgive people of their sins if they're paralytic. Instead, you're supposed to judge them. You're not supposed to have fun eating and drinking in sinners. You're supposed to stand outside the doors and and look scoffingly at them and make sure they know that they're wrong. You're not supposed to, you know, go around and have fun. You're supposed to be serious. Like there's days you shouldn't eat. There's days you should do nothing but pray and think about God and let everyone know just how spiritual you are. Can I tell you kind of what Jesus was honestly kind of doing here in these it's kind of like he was party hopping. Right? He was with a group of sinners, eating and drinking, healing here. Then he was with another group, and then another group over here. He was going from town to town, healing people, hanging out with people, wherever he could find them. Right? He's just hopping around, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. There are some days you shouldn't eat quite so much, Jesus. There are some days you should refrain and show people how serious God is. And Jesus doesn't do this. And his response when he says, you know what? The wedding guest, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is there? He said, this is actually a time of celebration. Celebration. And the question they're asking is, why not fasting? Why are you, why are you not serious about God? Why aren't you doing the serious things? One of the churches I grew up in, we used to have these things called reward trips. And so they would, uh, you know, as a youth group, they would take us and uh, we might get to go to on like a trip to an amusement park or something like this, uh, the fun thing. But to qualify to go on the fun thing, we had to show up a certain amount of times to the boring things. 
Like, they wouldn't say it that way, but that's literally what it meant. Like, you have to come to this, but you can't miss more than two Bible studies. You have to come to choir rehearsal. Like, there's all these requirements that we have to do of all this serious stuff till one day down the road, have some fun. All right? And boy, isn't that how we treat Christianity sometimes? Like, this life, you better be serious in this life, because when you get to heaven, that's when the fun starts. And Jesus is just kind of slapping them around and goes, guys, 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 relax. Enjoy it. The bridegroom's here. The celebration is now. Let's take full advantage of it. He is stepping in and pushing back on this. And his intention is this. Jesus is not about adhering to simple traditionalism of the faith. Instead, he is about embracing the current implications of faith. Today, now, in this moment. Does that mean all traditions are bad? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we shouldn't establish some new traditions? Sure. But Jesus is saying here, faith is not future or past. It's now. It impacts me today. It impacts me in my relationship with my spouse, in my relationship with my kids. It impacts me at work. It impacts me in how I dream of what I want to do one day. It impacts how I'm going to spend my money. It impacts what I'm going to spend my time. It impacts everything And it ought to be out of not a chore that we have to follow him. Instead, it is this beautiful choice that we get to experience the joy of faith today. His intention wasn't to just maintain tradition. His intent was to help people understand faith is about today. How often as follower of Christ do we forget the joy and passion with which Jesus called us to follow him? For too many of us, we've often turned our faith into a list of things that we must do and things that we can't do. We judge ourselves and others by how well we adhere to a list of obligations instead of how much we experience the joy of the Lord in our lives. And sometimes the longer we are in the faith, the more we fall into this trap. We isolate ourselves from sinners. We elevate the task of following Jesus versus the sheer pleasure of walking in his love, grace, compassion, forgiveness, and hope. We elevate the do's and the don'ts instead of embracing joy. We view ourselves then as spiritual authorities making determinations about how serious other people are instead of binding our hearts with others to display the gospel to the world. That's what Jesus' intention was. Not to be the judge and the ruler of who's in and who's out. You following the right rules. His was to bind his heart with other people in such a way that the kingdom of God would be made near all across the world. The question I have for you today is this. I want us to begin to struggle with. What has Jesus intended for your life that you seem to be missing out on? What is it that Jesus intended for your life that we seem to be missing out on? Have you missed the core ideas of what Jesus really intended for the life of his followers? Are you simply following the rules instead of following Jesus? Have you missed the healing he intended for your soul because you've been more concerned about the healing of your physical, external circumstances? Have you missed the personal connection with Jesus and with others because you've been more concerned about how interacting with those outside the faith might impact you or impact how others view you? Have you missed out on the current pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope that Jesus wants you to experience because you are still trying to prove to him and others just how serious you are about the faith? 
Would you learn from Jesus himself today about what his intentions are for you and with you? He didn't come to turn you into a modern-day Pharisee. Instead, he came to set you free from the bonds of sin and the trappings of religion and to walk with him in the fullness of an abundant life. Last week, we began an exercise as a church of taking some sticky notes and writing some answers to these questions that we're dealing with. Last week's question was, what is it about God that's unique to you? And uh, many people put answers out on our board out there, and it's a beautiful mosaic, beginning to become a beautiful mosaic of our story, of our gospel story of how we're interacting with, with Christ. Today, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Maybe this question is rattling around in you about what has Jesus intended for my life that I seem to be missing out on. There's some sticky notes right over here. There are plenty more out on the table as well. There's some images down this hallway that will help you think. And then I would encourage you, if, if there's something that is coming in, and you're like, man, I've just been following rules. I need to just follow Christ. Maybe there's a word. Maybe there's an image. Maybe there's just, even I talked about last week, a date where God did something in your life that will help you remember that you've maybe been missing out on something that God wants for you. So when we close our service at the end, I'm going to ask everybody, we'll, we'll exit out this way again uh, today. And as we do, uh, take some time, read. If, if you want to grab a sticky note, there's pens out there. Add to our mosaic, our gospel story of Jesus according to New City Church. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful uh, that you make your intentions very clear. There's no hidden agenda. There's no motive beneath the surface. God, you are clear that you're about changing our hearts and our lives on the inside. And God, you want to have a personal connection with us. And through that personal connection, we can experience this overwhelming joy of following you and letting the kingdom of God become alive in our life. God, would you challenge us as people, would you challenge us as a church to let those intentions invade our lives today? To not just look at you as a character in a story, but to begin to see you as somebody who wants to come in and invade our life and change and grow us into who you designed us to be. God, help us to understand you more and more with every passing moment and every passing day so that we can experience more and more of the pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope that you desire for our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.